0: Hello and welcome to The Lewis and Kyle Show, an interview podcast hosted by Lewis Shulman and myself, Kyle Bishop. Our goal is to share what we learn from people who have achieved the goals that we want to achieve. Lewis and I met and became friends over a shared passion for understanding the world, reading, and the power of entrepreneurship. Join us as we document our journey and
1: share what we learn from amazing guests along the way. In this episode, we're joined by Todd Mesra, or T-Mez. I do an introduction for him in the episode, so we're just going to cut right to it. I hope you all enjoyed. Today, we are joined by Ez. He's been successful in a number of industries from tech, philanthropy, financial consulting, and private investing. Works with a ton of people, ranging from students to high-performing professionals, and has codified the habits and characteristics for success and effectiveness. We brought him on to go through these traits and get some clarity on how we came up with them, how to acquire them, and how to apply them as welcome to the show. Great, thanks for having me, guys. Awesome, we're happy that you're here. Uh, so our first question for you is, you've said that entrepreneurs are motivated by statements like, you can't do that, or that will never work. Is there a specific time that sticks out in your memory when you're told you couldn't do something and you wanted to rebel against it?
2: Yeah, I mean, most successful people Um, are always motivated by someone telling them they can't do something and yeah there's actually a specific time in my life where i was told for the very first time that i couldn't do something and it wasn't from my parents my parents were very encouraging and very motivating and basically sky's the limit in the Mesra household Uh, but i was trying to get into a prep school a private school i was in fifth grade and i was going into I guess junior high six seventh and eight and i took the entrance exam to get into that school and i flagged it i didn't do well at all and i don't typically do well with standardized testing and uh, my parents went to the dean and said look this isn't a real characterization of my son's intellect he's really a lot smarter than this you know he really like to go to the school and you know all of his friends are going here and i know he can handle the workload and the complexity of the program and the dean of the school said, look, you know, we have a limited number of spaces, but here's what I'll do. He's not probably going to do well, nothing against you or your son, but we'll let him go to summer school here. And if he gets straight A's, then we'll let him in the school. And my mom's like, let me get this straight. You don't really have any slots left, but if he gets straight A's, you're going to let him in, but you don't really think he has really any chance of getting straight. It sounds like this is something that you're just giving me something to just say no to. I said, let me go back and talk to my son. So my mom came into my room and said, you know, I know you really want to go to this school, but you know, you didn't test really well and so they're not going to let you in unless you go to summer school and get straight A's. But with that being said, they're basically telling you that they don't think that you have a chance to get straight A's or even one A in any of the four classes you have to take over the summer. And I said, what? I said, who said that? And my mom said, well, the dean of the school. I said, what's his name? I wanted to know exactly what this guy's name was. (laughs) So long story short, I got straight A's. Of course. I got into the school, and then I went to the dean, knocked on his door at the end of the summer school, and said, you know, really enjoyed going to school here. You know, really learned a lot, but, you know, I know I've been accepted into your school because I got straight A's. That's correct, isn't it? And he says, yes, absolutely. You know, I... To be honest, I didn't think that you could do it, but, you know, given your test scores and given how you excel, like, academically in all these classes, you know, you really surprised me and, you know, welcome to the school. And I said, well, that's why I'm here. I have no interest in going to your school. I don't want to go to your school. I don't want you to take any of your classes. I just really just wanted to prove to myself and prove to you that I could actually do it. Have a nice day. Wow. So that was kind of the beginning of being told that you know you can't do something and then rising to the occasion and being motivated to basically exceed expectations and that was fun to do and oh by the way that happened in high school didn't test well happened in college at Alabama so summer school for high school summer school for Alabama and then summer school for graduate schools. this seems to be a trend with me but no, nope, wasn't a problem. I excelled in summer school and ended up going to every school that I wanted to to attend at, at the end of the day. So it was all good.
0: I think the fact that you recalled the time when you were in the fifth grade only speaks to your resolve and how it really is a characteristic of entrepreneurs <clears throat> to prove themselves. No, um, I'm,
2: still, I'm still pissed off over that whole thing. <laughs>
0: I think I can tell. And I'd
2: mention the guy's name, but in the event that he might be listening to this someday in the future, I don't don't want to hurt his feelings. But no, I was—I will not forget his name or any other people's names that did not accept me and they told me that I actually couldn't do it. Yeah. Same with the Alabama football team for that. I've got lots of situations where lots of people like myself have been Mm -hmm. told they can't do something. Michael Jordan was told that he couldn't win a championship. So I'm in the middle of watching The Last Dance. And mm-hmm. it was so ironic to hear him say that he was motivated because he was told that he couldn't win a championship at a, at a basketball franchise. It was basically the worst in the NBA. And he liked the challenge. We like challenges like that. In fact, we love challenges like that. Please, someone tell me that I can't do it. Someone <laughs> tell me that.
0: I think that I told was, you guys uh,
2: before, and maybe my son told you, I actually have had a T-shirt made that I wear around the house it's a white t-shirt with the V-neck and it says across the top of the shirt in black letters, just tell me I can't do it. And I probably yeah. wear it on the now like once a week or something just for, just for shits and giggles.
1: That's pretty yeah. awesome.
0: I think that plays really well actually into our next question, which is uh, the period of time that entrepreneurs have to go through where they're pretty much going to be broke. You know, you, you, you gave an entrepreneurship checklist to some University of Alabama <coughs> students, and it said that it's important for entrepreneurs to, willing, to be willing to be broke for three to five years. Um, what's the importance of this practically and, and psychologically to you? Is this something that, that you went through yourself?
2: I think everyone that's been successful has been broke, or at least most, most people. Um, yeah, I've been broke. Um, absolutely. Um, it's actually, it's fun to be broke because it gives you a greater appreciation for when you end up becoming successful, right? So you have a much, you're much more grounded. You're much more appreciative. You're much more aware of what you've really accomplished. Um, And it can be very gratifying. It can be mind blowing in a really good way. But yeah, it comes down to a lot of things. It comes down to understanding that when you take risks, you're going to get a return. If you don't take any risks, you're probably not going to get the kind of return that you're expecting. Um, you know, So hard work is obviously a big part of that, but investing in yourself, that's probably the biggest lesson is, are you willing to invest in yourself? Um, and that could be a huge risk to some people, but others that are very confident in their skill set and their ability and their work ethic, for them it's not much of a risk at all. For me, it wasn't really any risk to invest in myself. That's the best place you could ever invest time, energy, and money is in yourself. So It comes down to confidence, comes down to conviction. but it also comes down to patience. So if you're not willing to be broke, that just means that you just don't have the patience to see things through, especially when they're tough. <clears throat> and I know we're all going through some tough times right now, given the pandemic, some tougher than others, depending upon the types of businesses that everyone's out there trying to run and you know manage and maneuver. But this, these are the times that you kind of figure out what are you really made of? <clears throat> so being persistent, having... The amount of endurance you need to see yourself through these types of times. That's all. People might, we're rich, they might be broke again.
1: It's definitely.
2: <laughs> right? And they might be reengineering their businesses. They might be mm-hmm. um, reinventing themselves given the pandemic. And this is all a great test and fortitude to determine who's going to survive. Definitely. Who survives, the strong survive,
1: typically. Yeah, that's that's actually what I want to get into here. You bring up, you know, Michael Jordan and you bring up these important characteristics of persistence and these other things. And you've kind of codified that into a concept called a business athlete, which I think is a really powerful framework for thinking of yourself in business in the same kind of mindset of practicing and performance as an athlete. So could you tell us kind of about that framework and potentially some of the importance of it right now?
2: Yeah, so my whole mindset is there's sports athletes and we don't know who they are. And then there's business athletes. Business athletes are no different than sports athletes. Why? They're both successful at the highest level. They just happen to be doing something different. They all have phenomenal habits. They all have rituals, things that they go through. And for example, for myself, I mean, establishing habits when you're really young is really super critical if you wanna be successful. And one of the things that I do every day when I wake up is I put together what I call a focus items list. It's just a top of mind list of focus items. I type it into an email that I send myself and it gets me to laser focus on what's top of mind, what's important for me today, and what I want to accomplish. Irregardless of what might be in my CRM or what my assistant's telling me or other people walking into my office or... Something that might just pop up that's really unexpected that I really need to address. I have to get these six things done no matter what. Those are my focus items. Um, And I started doing that um, at a very young age and that transcended itself through college and graduate school and through my early uh, business career. But here again, that's no different than a world-class athlete stretching before a big workout or meditating which business athletes do a lot of, a lot of meditation too. Um, We're all kind of of the same mindset around habits and focus and ritual um, and practice and where we need to build strength. So athletes might need to build strength physically, business athletes need to build strength mentally there's different things you go through in order to acquire those, those types of strength.
0: One of the habits that you had on the business athlete, um, presentation is to learn one idea, factor concept every day. How do you implement that uh, into your own life?
2: <clears throat> well, we call that Shehekianu, which is a Hebrew term that means first. So you want to do something every single day in your life that you've never done before. So that provides you with two things, provides you with new life experiences, um, which makes you smarter and more cultured, and then more importantly, or just as important, it brings to you a ton of knowledge. So there's 365 days in a year. Most people can't even comprehend learning 10 new things in a year. Um, make it a point to learn something different every single day, and if you compound that over 10 years or 20 years, I mean, it's mind-blowing about to think about how smart you're gonna become.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, or ultimately will, will be. I mean, read about something new, whether it's Mm -hmm. uh, about the new vaccine, whether it's about uh, a new technology, whether it's about, um, you know, uh, something that's, that's in space. Um, So diversification from a knowledge perspective is really important. Diversification from a life experience perspective is just really, really, we never know who you're going to meet who could be a resource for you, who you might be close to, or you might have a great, super strong um, bond with. And the commonality is you guys both went to Iceland and had this life experience underneath the same waterfall and picked the same flowers that happened to be, you know, indigenous to only that part of the world. And boom, like who would have thought? So those types of experiences can really come in handy and can really add a lot of value in relationships that you look to develop as you meet new people across the globe.
1: So do you have a ritualistic way of going about that? Because, I mean, it kind of takes some intentional pre-planning to ensure you're going to have yeah. something new to you to expose yourself to on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, there's of, a lot of things you have to know what you, you don't know do. and then choose to learn about it.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of things you can do. I mean, taking a walk uh, down a different path. Um, that you never take and walk down before, taking a right instead of a left or going straight or I mean, just something as simple as that. Um, I'm a big fan of dictionary.com, so it's an app. I get a new word every single day emailed to me, right? And so I'm big into words, I'm big into the origin of the words and where they came from and how they arrived and is it Latin or is it you know Hebrew or German and that's very interesting to me and those words have different meanings um, for different situations and so that would be a great way to learn something new every single day. It's a very simple one. Mm-hmm. Um, who you hang out with, right? So your diversity of friends, your friend group. Um, and you guys have heard me say this. It, you know, I have a smart people's list, which I'm sure you're going to get into. But
1: right up next. smart
2: people <laughs> surround themselves with people who are smarter than themselves. So it's a great way to grow yourself and to learn something new every day. It's surround yourself with people who are smarter than you in a lot of different disciplines.
1: I mean, that's really our goal doing this podcast is finding those people. Uh, within disciplines we have curiosities in who are further ahead of us on the path to being successful or knowledgeable in that craft or that field and having a conversation with them and learning from them and I'd say Kyle and I definitely take at least one new thing I mean from every episode just the thing even myself being Jewish I don't think I had that that background that linguistic translation that that means first and that's the implication of that so I mean this podcast is a great way of realizing both both of those things.
0: I also think that one unintended consequence of that ritual of learning one new thing every day uh really helps to like embolden people's humility just because some people can get like stuck in let's say uh real estate that's all they think about it's all they do they're really really good at it and really smart about it but like you they're never they're never like facing any other thing that will will make them um smarter
2: so if you want to be More fun, more well rounded, more respected. You want to hang out, you want people to hang out with you more, be more well read, be more well rounded, be more cultured, be more educated, be more knowledgeable. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that I've met with that real estate guy and he's he's really successful and he owns a billion dollars real estate. But there's nothing to talk to this guy about. All this guy knows is real estate. He doesn't know tech, he doesn't know the environment, he doesn't know bourbons, wines, he doesn't know traveling. He doesn't know, you know, history, nothing. So my conversation with this guy is, you know, not super engaging.
1: (laughs) Um, He doesn't get invited back to the dinner parties.
2: Yeah. And sadly enough, same with athletes. I mean, I've met with um, a couple of coaches of of teams um, from the NFL uh, to the NBA to whomever. And these coaches are, I mean, they're very nice people, but all they know is football. And all they want to talk about is football and that's about it and uh you know it was actually enlightening to to kind of figure this out kind of early on in life that wow it's uh you know he's won a super bowl and you know phenomenal coach and you know obviously he's inspired his players he's built a great team but i mean there's really nothing else to talk to this guy about other than football i mean so and- I,
1: I have a bit of a not a challenge here, but. We had, a in our previous conversation, a little bit of a conversation on mastery. Uh, do you think that in some of these kind of extreme examples where you literally have to be the exact best in your craft to see any meaningful amount of success, something like football and coaching, do you think that obsession might be necessary or do you think that's kind of just making an excuse for not becoming well-rounded? Good question.
2: No, I think you need to focus on being the best at one thing, but that's mm-hmm. different than having a balance.
1: Okay, So So there's not a competition between those ideas of being the very best football player.
2: Yeah. Having a balance is having a balance in life, being focused and successful and being the best at one thing, you know, that's, that's needed. You can't, you know, you can't be an expert at at more than one thing. I don't think, I mean, there are some savants out there that could probably argue against what I just said, but for the most part, you know, whether you're an athlete or whether you're a business athlete, you know, Michael Jordan is the best in basketball. Uh, Roger Federer is the best at tennis. Um, Could Roger Federer be the best at basketball and Jordan be a tennis player? Probably not because, you know, it takes a significant amount of time, energy, focus, you know, passion to get there. Um, And the same is for a business athlete as well. So can someone be the best in real estate uh, and the best at, you know, some tech? I mean, it's not impossible, but highly unlikely. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but that's what's needed to be successful is to focus on being the best at one thing. Mm-hmm. The challenge I see a lot of the young people today is, is they think that, number one, they can get up to speed and become an expert on something very, very quickly. Not going to happen, or more than likely. And they they want to they want to do too many things. They want to do a half a dozen different things rather than focusing on just being the best at just one thing. And a lot of that is just finding your passion. So for a lot of the younger generation, a lot of the millennials, it's really important, I think, for them to spend time finding their passion. What would they really enjoy doing in life? and whenever whenever they figure that out, then their probability of success in being the best is exponentially going to be higher.
1: So you think there's kind of a discrete phase separation between an exploratory where you actually do try a ton of things kind of undirected and then through that process find something you just have to not let that process extend Mm -hmm. into your 30s and 40s. yeah, I was just
2: going to say, what you're talking about is that timeline of success, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. And in your 20s is your time to learn and figure out what is your passion, right? You've got 10 years to figure this out. Let's hope it doesn't take you 10 years to figure it out. <clears throat> some people never figure it out, right? There's some people in their 50s, 60s, 70s that have passed that never really found their passion. That's really sad. So... Really, I would encourage people to really focus on figuring out their passion. <clears throat> and that involves, like I said earlier, maybe a shakiano, meeting new people, being involved in different businesses, learning new things.
1: I mean, you have um, to know it's out there too. You
2: gotta know what the world offers. You gotta expand your brain. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um which means expanding your network, which means expanding your mind, which means expanding your opportunities, and then focusing on something that's, wow, that's really interesting to me. I've now figured out where I want to focus my energy. And then by the time you figure that out, maybe you're 28, 29, 30, then you can start building a business around your passion.
1: Sure. Uh, So I know you kind of had that path. You found a passion kind of earlier on in life. you It was Related to, you know, corporations and consulting, could you tell us a little backstory and how you got into the niche that you found, how you decided that it was your passion and ultimately how you uh, kind of progressed through that? Just, I know that's a lot of history could answer that question, but a more kind of brief version.
2: Yeah. So the short, short story is that I was influenced uh, by my dad who happened to be in the life insurance business Um, but I knew that I didn't want to sell life insurance individuals. And he had a relationship with someone who sold life insurance to sizable multi-billion dollar corporations. And I kept hearing the stories about the board meetings and about the presentations and about, you know, the multi-billion dollar companies and the hundreds and thousands of, you know, executives that were impacted by these plans. And that really got my juices flowing and I really had an interest in being involved in a corporate transaction where I could be impactful to the point where I'd be touching board members of a corporation and all the C level executives and all the all the executives below that and you know, have any impact at that level was really cool. Um, And so I rushed down and got my license. I was 18 years old. Um, Always knew what I wanted to do. Um, Went to graduate school, did my dissertation actually on exactly that, which was executive benefits specifically. Um, And then pursued that career path and then started measure consulting, you know, over 25 years ago. So part of that journey was identifying who the best person in the country was at that, working with the best person in the country, surrounding myself with people that are smarter than me, exponentially growing, and then leveraging all that intellectual capital to start my own business when I was 28 years old.
1: So I have a question there. You kind of have, you know, obviously this, uh, you're not afraid of confrontation and that, you know, you're a fifth grade principal and you're very ready to speak your mind and assert yourself in a situation where you have passion. And you kind of have that, it seems like as an innate characteristic, that expert positioning. Uh, But for a lot of people saying, go find the best and work for them, isn't as you know, one and then the other as you make it seem out to be. So how would you advise someone actually, once they've identified in their field who their dream mentor or a few dream mentors would be actually position themselves to be able to work for them, learn from them and all of that?
2: Well, that's, a great question. It's an easy answer. <laughs> find out who the best people are in the country at that particular task, job, industry, whatever is that, you're, that you're interested in, and then find a way in the door. You have their name, you have their number, you probably know where they live, you know what city they're in, you know probably where they work, and then find a way in the door. So you've got to be tenacious. You've got to be different. I mean, people that I wanted to meet when I was in my 20s, I would literally wake up at six o'clock in the morning because I found out through his assistant that he gets the office at seven which is why I could never get a hold of him and you know I was sleeping until nine this was back in my early 20s and so I learned the habits of this particular executive that I wanted to get in front of and so I met him on the sidewalk at 6 15 in the morning when he's walking to the office I mean that's the kind of shit you have to do and I caught him off guard he didn't know who I was it's what I've been leaving him messages for the first three months He'd never heard of my name I said oh my I got your scissors and giving you. Well, maybe she's giving them to me. But, you know, I'm busy. I'm involved in a lot of a lot of projects right now. And then she says, "Look, I'm just trying to get thirty minutes of your time. I'd love to visit with you. I think that you know I can add a lot of value to what you're currently doing within your organization. And I'd love to share some ideas and see how we can be resources for each other." And I got the meeting. Mm-hmm. So if you really want to make something happen, make it happen. Yeah. I mean, everyone's human and people. Love it when you go, someone goes out of their way and goes above and beyond to be able to meet them or introduce themselves. Um, people that are successful embrace that because they remember that's what they had to do. So you're already differentiating yourself right out of the box. So it's very easy for me to get that meeting at 6.15 in the morning walking on the sidewalk.
1: Yeah, I think another detail, you kind of just said it in your sentence that deserves repeating is when you pitched yourself to him. You talked about... adding value. You didn't say, I want to learn from you. I want your time. I want your mentorship. You said, I have something to offer you as well. And I think that completely changes their perception of your offer and makes you look more credible, assuming, I mean, obviously you can deliver.
2: You're right. makes you look more credible. And um, it shows you have confidence in yourself and that you know that you have an understanding of his business. You certainly understand your own business. And we've worked with companies similar to yours. We have been able to add value. Why would you not be with me for 30 minutes? It's it's an easy Mm -hmm. meeting to get. It's when you're unsure and you're more about, I need, I need guidance or I need, you know, it'd be great to spend a day with you, you know, mirroring you or, you, just, you know, no one's, no one's relationship interested that. It's like, what can you do for me? How can you help me in my business? Where do you think you can add value? You got to be quick and you got to be thoughtful and you have to be scripted and you got to be ready to handle all different types of objections because objections will crush an entrepreneur who hasn't done his homework crush anyone. You have to think of what if. What if he asks this? What if he says this? What if he walks away? What if he ignores me? I mean, you've got to think through all those different scenarios. You have to be prepared.
1: How long would... You th- say that you did go through and prepare for that once you found out, you know, okay, my plan is to meet him on the sidewalk. Uh, how long would you say you prepared the scenarios, your scripts, months. your practicing months, months before you?
2: I called him for months. Mm-hmm.
1: I knew what
2: clubs he was a member at. I knew what deals he was involved in. I knew who worked for him. I tried to get in the door through other angles. And then I just said, let's just, just go to rep. I said, I've exhausted every other avenue that I can. I'm just going to just meet him on the sidewalk before he walks into the building. Then I've got him. There's nowhere for him to go.
0: And did he run a company that's similar to yours today? Did you end up following his- Not at all.
2: His... He's the largest real estate owner in Southern California.
1: Wow. Okay.
2: No, he was a he was a prospect. Someone that I wanted to get as a, as a client when I was 26 years old.
1: You wanted to provide benefits for his <clears throat> corporation or- I wanted like,
2: to put in an executive benefits plan and allow his executives be able to defer income, yes. To help him better attract and retain all of his all of his executive talent to continue to drive the profitability of his company. He cool. liked so he I, liked all that.
1: I mean it sounds like it'd be a lot of value added, so Let's actually transition now into uh, some of the actual running of your company. Uh, You know, you have a lot of frameworks for how you train new people, what you expect from them, uh, and, you know, the people that you actually choose to bring on your team, because you by yourself might be this really big go-getter, I'm not afraid to stop someone on the street and make my pitch to them. How do you bring in people on your team, or what is it that you look for, for someone to be a match to work with you in that kind of environment?
2: Well, that's a tough question for, I think, anyone that's building a business and hiring talent. I mean, but the things you look for, the things that you look for in yourself. So you look for energy level, you look for passion, level of interest. Um, And believe it or not, I really focus on, on two things. I focus on what kinds of questions they ask in addition to how much research have they done on my company. Um, And then I ask them a lot of questions about their upbringing, their parenting, their own parents, their background, what kind of environment do they live in the first 18, 19 years of their life. That really tells me a lot. Um, Our approach is a little bit different. And then once they're onboarded, we take them through a whole presentation about our corporate culture, about my expectations, the company's expectations, which I believe you have that list.
1: Yeah, team has Um, expectations.
2: We take them through the smart people's list, the follow-up freak. There's a whole onboarding um, process we go through to get them to understand how we think and why we're different. And we'll probably know in about 30 days if they're going to stick and if they're going to buy into our value proposition and buy into our way of, of doing things and just getting things done because we're not normal. We're very entrepreneurial. We're you know, we just do things differently. Um, For example, we don't have any paper in our office. We're like a paperless office. Op- we are a paperless office. So that was a two-year transition. I mean, that's tough for a lot of people that are used to working with paper. I mean, not to have files or folders or, I mean, so there's, there's an internal operational procedures, we call SOP standard operating procedures around remaining paperless and being organized. And that's tough for some people. So people just just don't like that i mean and so there's lots of things like that that live in our environment that if they're not comfortable with they're probably not going to be a super fit
0: and one thing you briefly mentioned there was a follow-up freak something that you expect all of your employees to be is somebody who will continue to to go back to somebody and ask them over and over again in a polite professional way um what i was wondering is what do you think the consequences of getting this wrong versus the benefits of getting it right are
2: well the consequences of not following up or failure is mm-hmm. that it's just that simple and if and at best, you're just going to be just mediocre. That's at best. A mediocre, I would say, is a notch below average. So anyone that doesn't follow up, they have no chance of ever being successful. Zero. People that follow up, that is an, that's a clear differentiator that sets them apart from everyone else, because most people don't follow up appropriately. Most people are slow. I mean, they might not be lazy. They're just, there's no sense of urgency. Let's just put it that way. They don't have the, the heightened sense of urgency that they really need to get shit done. They're going at their own pace. Or since they've been given two weeks, you're going to take the full two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't operate like that. Most successful people, um, and we have a golden rule, and you've seen my list of golden rules, the very first golden rule is never wait. So if you, (laughs) people that wait, obviously are violating a golden rule in addition to violating our follow-up freaks guidelines. So I mean, they're violating things all over the place. So following up and being persistent, I should say professionally um, a persistent, really, really important if you wanna be successful. Like you guys followed up with me, right? Now, what if you didn't follow up with me and you didn't hear back from me? What do you do, call me in two, three weeks? I mean, you've got to follow up. People are busy. Yeah. And they appreciate the follow-up. And if they don't, they'll tell you, look, you don't need to follow up with me. I got it. If you don't hear from me in two weeks, then you can call me back. But not following up at all or following up late or being on some longer runway in order to get something done usually isn't a formula for success. It's usually a formula for just mediocrity.
1: Now, is that something that you teach or you expect people to kind of have those traits <laughs> coming in the door?
2: No one has that skill set when they come in the door. We don't expect okay. that at all. We have a whole, we call it MezU, <laughs> an internal university where it's a whole two hours of training on how to follow up, when to follow up, who to follow up with, what to follow up with how to communicate, how to position things appropriately, what's the right timeline. I mean, follow-up is a big, big part of our business, and it should be a big part of everyone's business.
1: I'd say not just business, but just personal interactions with people.
2: <laughs> but most people don't follow up. Most people will tell you they're going to do something and then not do it. Well, obviously they didn't put it on their focus items list for the day. I mean, sure. it all goes back to having good good habits like we talked about earlier, right?
1: I, just, uh, I bought my cousin a book. He's an incoming college freshman, and I bought him the one book I thought he should read before his freshman year is The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And I have it sitting on my bedroom desk to uh, write a little note in there about that very thing, the importance of establishing habits your freshman year to be successful throughout college. But <laughs> one one question I have for you, and it's kind of a, a unifying summation question, is you have all these frameworks and educational materials and checklists. How much of these come from uh, kind of research? You know, you read a book, you chose to apply this versus uh, practical In my life, I've put together through experience, this is what's necessary for this kind of situation.
2: Well, I wish I had the answer key before I put all these lists together, then I could have just copied somebody else's list. But no, all of all of this just came from me, just based on my experiences, failures, successes. This is years of personal research, if you will. There's no real research idea. It's just life experiences, business experiences, interacting with people who are successful in a lot of variety of different industries. I mean, one of the beautiful things about what I've been able to experience is I've been with CEOs, CFOs, and board members of very successful multi-billion dollar companies. And so I'm able to gather a lot of intellectual capital and data and insight and guidance from all these people and kind of turn it into my own as it relates to how I want to grow and build a business specific to our industry. So it's all come from me, but it's all come from other experiences, friends, relationships, other business owners that I've learned a lot from.
1: That's very, that's very interesting because I feel like, you know, just distilling and compacting uh, years, decades of lessons learned and one-off comments and relationships into a concise, like codified package like that just requires a monumental degree of reflection and intention. Uh, So do you have like a process where you just sit down periodically and reflect on these lessons or does it just kind of come about that there's a problem and you want to define a specific, uh, easy to digest piece of information for people to read to overcome that kind of problem?
2: I mean, they're not... We're not problem. They're but not problem. Specific lists. These lists are top of mind. They're mm-hmm. right. They're right there at the top, and I can put a list together in less than ten minutes. It's if you give me a topic and say, "What are the top five ways to be able to get a meeting with the CEO of a multi-billion-dollar company?" I can give you five things that you should do and five things that you shouldn't do pretty quickly. Now, did I do research? Did I make phone calls and ask other enterprise salespeople around the globe what they would do? No, I don't need to do that because I've already experienced all that. I already know what works and what doesn't work. Now, things change, people change, approaches change, technology changes. You have to stay abreast of whatever those changes are. No one's cornered the market on brand new ideas. So I'm always open-minded here again, the Shackiano trying to learn something new every day um i can always add that to my list so maybe what i thought was five approaches to the ceo now might be seven right but that's that's ever growing and it might change based on the personality of who it is you're trying to approach because mm-hmm. not everyone's the same sometimes your approach has to be different Someone might like wine better than bourbon, so I might wanna bring a bottle of wine to the meeting as opposed to a bottle of bourbon. He's like, this guy obviously done no research on me. He knows that I've got a wine collection of 25,000 bottles and this guy brings me a bottle of bourbon. This guy is clueless. I want nothing to do with this guy. He doesn't know a thing about me. All he needed to do was Google me and see that I'm a top wine collector. He didn't even do any research on me. I'm done with this guy. It could be that simple. And that's happened to me. I've learned. (laughs) here again, it's best to learn in your 20s. I go back to the timeline. The 20s is a time to learn. The 30s is a time to build your business. 40s is a time to really leverage what you've learned in your thirties and the fifties is a time to kind of take what wealth you've accumulated and and make the world a kind of a, kind of a better place. And that includes from a charity perspective as well as growing other people. Cause it's really fun, which is what I'm doing here is really talking to you guys and sharing with you what I've learned to help you guys grow as well. And hopefully you're getting something out of it. Definitely. Well then that's fine. That's, That's fine as well.
1: That's funny. I I think we'll kind of transition now into the kind of not sequential questions uh, bonus round. Uh, So the first question here is a pretty kind of a softball based on something we talked about beforehand, but do you need to be technical to build a tech company? In addition to your consulting, you know, you've had other projects, draw loop and things like that. So can you tell us about how you don't need to be technical to build a tech company and why that's the case?
2: Yeah. So you're, you're right. Um, I don't think you need to be a techie in order to start a tech company. Um, I don't know anything about coding. Um, I don't know anything about programming. I mean, I took a couple computer client. Uh, I'm sorry. I took a couple of computer science courses when I was in college as well as high school, and it wasn't really my thing. Um, but what I did have is I had an idea, and I had an idea about changing the world or changing something specific in the world to make something easier. Um, and that was what I had the epiphany of automating document deliverables so my technology was more about taking metadata driving metadata into a variety of different document types Word PowerPoint Excel PDF and PDF files and doing all that around business rules and automatically packaging um, and populating and creating document deliverables, presentation deliverables that contain content, graphics, financial modeling, all within a matter of seconds. And that was just an idea that I had because it was taking me, you know, two hours to two weeks to put a presentation together. And I just got frustrated and said, this is, this is madness. I mean, I can't continue the rest of my life Taking two weeks to put a PowerPoint presentation together with the change in the numbers and the graphics and the content and changing fact pattern. And I mean, this is, this is nuts. Um, plus I can't even see that many people a week. So there's no scale to this business. And so I said, I got to automate this. And so what people like myself do that aren't techies that have a great tech ideas, they go and they hire techies (laughs) and they articulate for them and share with them their vision and what they want to accomplish and what they want to build. And they build it for them. Um, No, no different than, you know, what Steve Jobs has done and a variety of other entrepreneurs who weren't supposedly techie, um, but had a vision and a passion and an idea, Share that vision, passion, idea with people that had the necessary skill set to put all those puzzle pieces together to get something to work. And so, no, you don't really need to be a techie to start a tech company.
0: So what do you do when a good idea comes your way? Like, how do you vet uh, whether or not it's viable or, or something that'll actually work?
2: So it's a good question. Um, I get pitched all the time on what someone thinks is a good idea. Um, if it's an idea in a space that I'm familiar with, I'll evaluate it myself. And I look at a lot of different things. I look at, first of all, the person behind the idea, because um, it could be the best idea, but it's being driven and built. By the wrong person, it doesn't really matter how good the idea is. A good That good idea might be better for someone else to go run and build and implement, right? So I look at the person behind the idea. I Look at the cost to implement and get to market. So how long is it going to take to build this, right? And how much money is it going to cost to build this? And then the last question I ask is, is it scalable? So how quick can we get scale? And what does scale look like? And how fast can we get to profitability? So is it a 12-month runway? Is it a two-year runway or a five-year runway? And then when I gather all that information, I then step back and ask myself, has anyone ever done this before? So what's a a competitive landscape? Uh, Number one. And then, you know, number two, if there is a competitor out there, how are you differentiating yourself from what's already out there in the marketplace? Mm -hmm. So all that comes into view, and then I make a decision, do I want to invest time, energy, and capital in this, or, or do I not? And if it's something that I don't have an expertise in, I'll bring in a friend that does have an expertise in that particular field, and they'll help me evaluate whether or not that company or that innovation, that idea does, in fact, make a lot of sense. And I do that often, whether it's real estate, whether it's a new fintech product, whether it's new data security, whether it's, could be anything, a new source of energy. Um, I bring in people and resources and relationships that I've developed over my lifetime, and I pull them in and say, Rob, what do you think about this? This is some new new form of battery. It can be charged in five minutes, not 50 minutes. It's got five times the power. What's the flaw in this? You know, it's mm-hmm. is this real or... You know, he might say, yeah, it's real, um, but the cost to manufacture this is is huge. And then your price point to get it to market is going to be even bigger. And then at the end of the day, no one's going to want to pay that price point. They're going to rather sit there and charge something for 40 minutes versus yeah. five because it's going to save them a hundred bucks.
0: I think that plays well into your earlier or the the framework for twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, you know, now you're at the point where you can leverage all the people that you have taken under your wing in the last 30 years to help you make better decisions so you can grow exponentially.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, building your team is so much fun and so valuable later on in life. It's just it's just crazy. So every day you meet someone new and you meet a new relationship that's got a new knowledge source that's laser focused in an area that you don't have any expertise in, you just add them to your team. You maintain a relationship. How powerful is your team going to be when you're 55, 60, 70 years old? It's unbelievable. You even imagine that? you're gonna know at least one or two people that have an expertise in a variety of different areas um, across the globe, probably different countries. Which back to your point, how do you get a meeting or how do you get a job with the person that's the best? Well, if they live in Baltimore and you have a friend in Baltimore that you met in college and their father happens to work for the company, that has a relationship with this person you're trying to get a job with, and then you find out that they're actually Jewish and they attend the same synagogue (laughs) and they're on the synagogue board together, it's boom, 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 three degrees of separation. That happens all the time. Mm -hmm. But you don't know that it can happen unless you put yourself out there, unless you ask the questions, unless you follow up, unless you're persistent, unless you have a passion around working for the best and being the best. If none of that exists, then you don't even know anything about how hard or easy it is to, to get a job with, with someone like like that. Cause you haven't made the effort.
1: That makes total sense. It was a really good discussion about both. I mean, initially your process for going through the ideas and then going back on that kind of earlier topic of how to actually leverage the 20, 30, 40 model to meet the right people. And when I mean, you tie a lot of things together there, so to flip the script here for a different pace, different type of question is you've kind of strung together a lot mm-hmm. of different, uh, very positive experiences, positive learning experiences, uh, things you've done well. But I'm curious to ask about uh, any, if there was a failure, a notable failure that sticks out in memory uh, and what you kind of took away from that.
2: Is there a failure? Yeah, <laughs> there's a ton. I mean, there's not really anything big um from a failure perspective i would say there's lots of little failures every single day along the way and you're kind of learning and rebuilding and learning and rebuilding from all those failures each and every day and it's more of a more of a learning process but i i can't say that
1: and that's all right if there's not I think like, I've
2: had a, a failure i mean i have invested in companies and i've invested in projects that that you know failed um you know, was that a failure? Yeah, it was a failure. Maybe I should have done more due diligence. Maybe I should have done more research. Maybe I should have, got to know the person better in terms of their operational experience. Maybe it could have asked some more references. I mean, you know, you live and learn. So Mm -hmm. yeah, from an investment perspective, I think anyone that's an investor, um, has always had failures from an investor. I mean, Warren Buffett's had failures in investments. I mean, sure. But that's what's made Warren Warren
1: because he, he learns from those failures. Um, I think that's, that's a good answer. And it kind of speaks to your broader attitudes of not really uh, the fact that these failures don't stick out. So strikingly in your memory kind of talks about how you just immediately, if something goes bad, you figure out the rational way to handle it, the takeaways and begin working on and reallocating efforts towards something more promising. Uh, So I think The last question I have for you here is looking at the next five years of your life and your career and all the different projects in your fifties that you've gotten involved in, are you speeding up, slowing down or changing lanes?
2: I'm doing all those actually. (laughs) I just uh, put myself in in a, a supercar and, you know, when you're driving a supercar, you've got a Speed up and slow down and change lanes all the time if you want to win the race. So I don't think it's just, uh, you know, there's people on the road, there's people in front of you, the street signs are changing, there's a light there that wasn't there last week. I mean, so it's all, it's all the above. I think You have the to one, learn how to
1: drive with the mask on.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think the one consistent theme throughout all that is growth. So <laughs> I'm really focused on growth um, and I'm really focused on continuing to be uncomfortable um, I don't think anyone that's an entrepreneur that's comfortable is going to survive a long run. The minute you get comfortable is the minute you die. So remaining uncomfortable is really, really important. And always looking in your rearview mirror when you're driving your car to know who might be coming out up behind you. The minute you get comfortable and you think that oh, my car's going 220 miles in, or no one's going to pass me. Well, some new technology with a with a with a with an e battery or whatever just can go like 270 now. So. Whoosh you know, hearing growth and making sure that you're constantly uncomfortable. So that's kind of what I think I I would leave you with.
1: Yeah, and I really like how you approach that by saying uh, that you're in a supercar, you're in a fancy, car because if you kind of follow some of your models correctly over your 20s 30s and 40s and you continually implement those habits of of growth and of focus and discipline and learning from the best and connecting with the best at that point in your life that you're in your 40s or 50s you're not driving around a beat-up car you're driving around like a a high revving machine so I I really liked uh your answer there
2: great thanks I I appreciate that now first of all you know that I love cars I'd prefer the McLaren 720s um but yeah you You've got to, things get easier as you get older. And I think they get easier because you become that much smarter and you've surrounded yourself with that many more people that are smarter than you that can take on responsibilities and do things. And it provides you personally with the ability to, to scale mentally. Um, mm. And that's kind of a different way to think about it. Scaling mentally, I think is, is really the key. And there's no way to do that without, without help from from a lot of other people.
1: Sure. I mean. Your time is limited unless you can bring on other people to take things from, from your plate. But speaking of, we appreciate all the time you've been willing to give us in this call, in the preparation calls, in the judging of us in the ALDAG business competition. That kind of was the initial inspiration for reaching out to you in the first place. And we really appreciate you taking the time to work with us and share some of what you've learned throughout the years with us and our audience. So thank you so sure, much. Sure, guys.
2: Really enjoyed it. I appreciate yeah, your bringing you bringing it on your show. And uh... Look forward to doing it again, maybe on a different
1: topic. Sure, that'd be awesome. Absolutely.
2: Thanks, guys.
0: Well, that wraps up our interview with T-Mez. I thought it was really great. Louis, what about you?
1: Yeah, Timez is a funny guy. He's hardcore, uh, great influence, I think, really on anybody trying to be more successful, more of a go-getter, more proactive, and more oriented towards success. Uh, So I hope you all enjoyed listening to it. The best way to support the Lewis and Kyle show if you like this episode and want to hear more from us and want us to keep doing this is to share an episode with a friend. If you have a favorite episode that you listen to or think that a friend would like, just send them the link to it and say, hey, I'm listening to this podcast and I think you'd like it. Otherwise, if you want to keep up with us, you can follow us on social media by searching for the Lewis and Kyle show just about all major platforms and following us there. So thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in a couple of days with the next episode. Bye bye.